We have a whole squad that can really hoop and get the job done. We got our way to win. It's simple for us. The first team ever in the 74-year history of the NBA to come back from being down 3-1 twice in the same playoffs. Nuggets down one into Murray. Here we go. 10 seconds. Murray to Jokic. Jokic. What's up, Nuggets Nation? Jenna Garcia here with another episode of the Chicken Nuggets podcast. This week, we actually have a very special guest joining and spending the majority of the podcast with us. Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports will be joining us here on the Chicken Nuggets podcast to break down the loss that the Nuggets took to the 76ers this weekend. It's been a tough one to swallow for me. And I'm guessing for most of Nuggets Nation, it was a moment that we really wanted the Nuggets to shine. Totally understandable. But I've seen a lot of overreactions out there on on the internet this weekend. Just, you know, a lot of overreactions from Nuggets fans and Nuggets haters, right? Proof that this shows, that this loss shows that the Nuggets aren't going to win a championship. Or proof that the Nuggets aren't really hard. They're not really dogs. They're not going to win this game in... In a playoff series, for example, I cannot tell you how many Lakers fans I've had tell me in a playoff series, yeah, the Lakers are beating the Nuggets. A hundred percent. That's what they believe. And this game obviously is going to be used for that kind of narrative to continue to push that kind of narrative about, about the Nuggets not being a playoff ready team. I genuinely believe that every single failure you have can be used for growth. And I think that this game has a lot of failures, a lot of areas where the Nuggets, not a lot, I guess, but a few areas that really stand out where the Nuggets could definitely adjust and learn from that mistake and not do this again, right? Not lose to the Sixers again. Nikola Jokic, in general, is the type of player. He is the type of player who you see play a guy two or three times and he figures the guy out. You know, this was something that the Nuggets have only seen one other time against Minnesota when Kyle Anderson kind of moved and played on Nikola Jokic instead of their five. They had their four defend Nikola and their five kind of helped. And as opposed to most teams who have their five defend Nikola and their four, their, their power forward, their second largest big guy will, will help. Um, this worked when Minnesota did it, and it worked tonight when the Sixers did it. I have no doubt that the Nuggets will learn to adjust and that Nikola Jokic will learn to adjust when the time comes and when it's necessary. I think we see Nikola... Ha- I'm just going off of what I've seen Nikola do in the past, right? What I've seen him do in the past is he's taken every single failure and turned it into a victory in the end because he's learning from it, playing that team again, and then having success against that team. He will outlearn you. He will, he, his basketball knowledge is at that type of level, especially on the offensive side of the ball. The Nuggets still lose this game. And that still doesn't mean that Joel Embiid didn't have a great game. He did. He played awesome. He shot really, really incredible. And we're going to break it all down with Ryan Blackburn on this episode of the Chicken Nuggets podcast.
So we're here with my former boss and now friend and colleague. Uh, it's too bad he's not still my boss. Great boss to have, Ryan Blackburn of Mile High Sports. Ryan, how are you doing after this long football weekend? We even had a little bit of Nuggets basketball in there. Just a little bit. I, I don't actually remember the game that happened over the weekend, Jen. I think that's a, we can just go right past that. So we can talk about football. We can talk about whatever the hell is you want to watch. Uh, so they want to talk about, except for, uh, except for the Sixers Nuggets game. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I do have a couple of questions about the game. It's mostly just generic questions about the team and overall rivalry week and re weekend was last week. That's a really tough one for me. Rivalry weekend, the R and the W back to back, man. <laughs> um, but uh, the the Nuggets face, like you said, the Sixers during rivalry week, um, and they end up losing that game. Joel Embiid obviously played amazing. Uh, but before we talk about a little bit about that game, I just kind of was curious because going into the week, curious about your thoughts. Going into the week, I felt like national media was saying was really focused on the East Coast, really East Coast heavy. And then before the Nuggets game, they talked about, well, the East Coast is, the East uh, Conference is even better than the West anyways. Um, obviously the Celtics win their rivalry game against the Lakers by just a couple of points. The Nuggets drop their rivalry game to an East Coast team, um, Eastern Conference team. What are your thoughts? Do you think the Eastern Conference is actually better than the West this season? I think if you're going by record, then yeah. I think one of the things that people, one of the things that people get into is they look at the top of the standings and they're like, okay, so that's a championship contender. That's a championship contender. That's a championship contender. And if you do that in the West, in the West versus in the East, <clears throat> I think your their West team is a little bit, it's a little bit weak. Like you've got Sacramento up there. You've got New Orleans up there. I don't think anybody's really afraid of a lot of the teams that are at the top of the West. Uh, Memphis, as, as we've talked about, they, they were competing with the Nuggets completely for several, several weeks, it feels like, and they just can't stop losing right now. So I think when you're getting into like which teams in the West people are actually afraid of, I don't think the Nuggets are a team that people are afraid of. I think they feel like they can beat Denver, even though Denver may be great. And I think that if you're looking at Memphis and Sacramento and New Orleans and Dallas and teams like that, people are, it's a little bit, a little bit weak in general. Now the, the actual conference itself probably has about the same number of wins uh, because the, the like middle and the bottom of the West is a little bit better than the middle and the bottom of the East, but people care about the title contenders. Yeah, I mean, but we've seen in the West how like teams like Golden State just last year, yeah, they're low in the standings and record, I guess, but they still won. You know, they went ahead and did their uh, load management all season long. They weren't a regular season team. You see it in the Lakers this year, and they're waiting to pounce when the time comes and the time has not come yet. I think if we're just looking at standings and yeah, the East looks better, but when it comes down to it, the West is the ones that wins the championships. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. I think if you, uh, like it's been the Warriors for the past few years, the Lakers won the bubble title. The only reason why the Warriors didn't win the 2019 title was because KD and Clay Thompson went down. And then you had the Bucks that won the title in their year, but they had a lot of injuries help them along the way. That was pretty much the year of 
the last team standing actually winning winning the title so the bucks were the last team standing and they obviously deserved a whole bunch of credit for that but they placed they they faced phoenix and phoenix as we've seen over the course of these past couple of seasons not the same team and just maybe maybe not as potent as as a lot of people thought when they won 64 games last year so it's tough like i as a as a purely west centric human being who likes to give credit to the western conference for being way better way stronger and everything with the nuggets being there and with like you've got the uh, I, I love what the greatest of all talk guys do on their podcast. You've got Ben Golliver, Andrew Sharp. You've got the Paul Millsap All Star Exchange that they do, where okay, Paul Millsap was a four time All Star in the East, but the moment he comes to the West, it's a little bit harder to get into the to the Western Conference All Star game than that. So I, I think that the the quality is a little bit more even now, but I don't think it's so far in the east direction that you really have to worry about it yeah yeah it definitely felt a lot of east coast heavy media coverage of this weekend of rivalry games at least in my opinion the nuggets game i'm not sure which broadcast you listen to but if you listen to hubie brown's broadcast on espn you will have learned a lot about the sixers very little about the nuggets um they dropped 70 <laughs> points in the first half, Ryan. Like, what positives are you walking away? Like, yes, this this L hurts because it was a, a rivalry game in an important spot on the road. Things that we've been wanting to see from the Nuggets, but there had to be some positives you took away from this game. Yeah, I, the first thing is Michael Porter Jr. Like, not seeing Michael Porter Jr. for a week and then for him being able to come back out there, play the way that he did, and just kind of leave it all out on the court in that way was really, really cool. He didn't play a ton of minutes. He played, I think, 29 in the game. But I thought that he played really well and deserves a lot of credit for the way that he approached the game, despite the fact that he's been going through this tragedy off the court and, and the entire situation with his brother right now. Porter deserves a lot of credit for being able to rise above that. And, and Denver as a team, you know how potent they are like with him in the lineup with everybody out there. And I think they show that in the first half specifically. Yeah, I agree. I think Mike played really well for what I thought we were going to see from him, at least because he just start, was on fire from the beginning. Like his shot was on. So, which is surprising to see after a guy's not been out there at shoot arounds at participating in his normal routine. So good to know that he's back and with the team. I would have liked to see more of him in the second quarter. What weaknesses did you think that the Sixers really exposed in the Nuggets, whether that's in their rotations or in their defense? It's a good question. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to kind of go over. I think the most important thing that Denver has to get through is figuring out this, this switching four that goes on to Jokic, where then you have the center that switches on to Aaron Gordon. And it sort of disrupts everything that the Nuggets want to do from a motion standpoint, right? Like it felt like they were trying to punish the mismatch and go at P.J. Tucker rather than play the motion game that they had been playing with Jamal Murray and KCP, Michael Porter, and creating open shots for all of these guys, I thought that this neutralized them. And we've seen that happen, and we've seen that work. 
several times over the course of these last couple of years with the way that Aaron Gordon likes to play. I think in that situation, he's got to get out to the corner. He's got to get up to the wing. He's got to pull that center away from the paint. And it just, to me, seems like Denver's still trying to figure out because they want him in the short corner in a lot of those situations where they're running mid pick and roll, right? They want him to be the guy that finishes the play right at the rim on those lobs or dump offs or whatever. And if you're not getting those plays consistently, and if you've got a guy like Joel Embiid now protecting the rim, it's really hard to do everything else. So they've got to figure it out. That's probably the thing I'm, I'm looking at most. Yeah. The Sixers weren't the first team who threw that at them. I think Kyle Anderson made that adjustment, right? Yeah. Minnesota, but like, cause they have, they have Gobert in the background, right? Like it, being able to do that with that massively effective rim protector is really helpful. And if you use that guy on Jokic, it kind of compromises so many of these rim protectors when they're away from the paint. That is why Denver was so successful in the first half and not successful in the second half. So you feel like to that uh, adjustment by putting the four on, on Jokic and the five on Aaron Gordon, the the Nuggets should respond by looking to get open shots from their guards. It would be, it would be smart. I think, I think it would be one of those things where you are hoping for, you're hoping for better movement in a lot of these situations. But I think one of the things, if I'm, if I'm Denver, if I'm trying to figure out how to best involve, um, how to best involve Murray and Porter and KCP and guys like that, you probably have to run some guard to guard actions with them, try to get them switched and then not involve Aaron Gordon as much because he's involved in a lot of what Denver does. They've got these three man actions with him, Murray and Jokic where they're screening for each other. They're rolling, they're popping, uh, curling around different actions, things like that. But if you are Denver, you kind of have to throw that out the window when these matchups are already switched because you can't switch in those, or if they just switch back, it's Jokic going on to Joel Abid or, and it's, it's uh, PJ Tucker going on to Aaron Gordon, which isn't really a mismatch. It's just how they normally set up. So if I'm Denver, I try to push Aaron Gordon out to the perimeter and have him make some shots. He's shooting 39% from three this year. And that's something that he's going to have to do. He's just going to have to be a floor spacer because if you put a rim protector on him and then he hits four threes in a quarter or in a half, that's how you screw that up. That's that's how you break that defense. Yeah, I could see that working too. Do you think that Doc out coached Mike Malone in this game? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I think that Doc made adjustments. And that's a great adjustment to make. Denver, they have counters to when a power forward gets put onto Jokic and then the center gets put onto Gordon. They have counters. For whatever reason, it did not feel like they implemented them well. And whether that's on Jokic for not really organizing the set, whether that's Gordon for not really recognizing what to do, I doubt it's on Gordon. Um, Or whether it's on Malone for not really emphasizing just how important that was. I don't know. I think David Adelman is somebody who would probably be paying attention to something like that and be like, Hey, this is what we run in those situations. This should not be this difficult. And for whatever reason it was, and and maybe it was just them trying to simplify things by posting up Tucker 
but that didn't work. And it probably won't work that often in the playoffs anyway. So I, I got to imagine that Denver, if they had a mulligan, if they had a, an ability to take it back, they would try things differently and be a little bit more prepared for it. But if that's the case, then it's probably coaching. Yeah. It definitely felt like this was a game that I wish we could get a do-over in uh, a mulligan in specifically the final couple minutes of the third quarter. Yeah. Bones out on the, on the court with Jamal. I think Jamal's out there still. I think Bruce, Bruce is out there. Um, What did you see from that unit? I saw your tweet about that foul on Joel Embiid for three. And you said Bruce should be, should be benched for that uh, foul. Can you just talk about those final couple minutes of the third and what, like, because I felt like that was the difference in the game, really. Like, it still felt like a winnable game. And this is, you know, was before this game, one of the most clutch teams, I guess, still top three clutch teams in the in the NBA. Yeah, that foul, I think that's reprehensible in, in my personal opinion. Like, you cannot foul somebody a three-quarter court. <laughs> like, there's just no reason to get near Joel Embiid in that situation. And Bruce Brown tries to go for the ball. He tries to basically uh, strip the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands, but he gets Joel Embiid's arms. And obviously that's going to be a foul call. And there's just no reason to put yourself into that situation where you could take what was a six point game. Joel Embiid makes three free throws. And then it's a three point game going into the fourth quarter. And if you just have it as as a six point game, it feels a little bit more like substantial in terms of, okay, we still have a lead. A three-point game is not a lead. It is tied at that, like effectively tied. And in my mind, I think that there were some other things that led to that point where it was a 15-point lead at, at towards the, the end of the third, and they just could not get any baskets towards the end. And they let, they let go of some runouts. They gave up some threes. They gave up some dunks. And... If you're right, if if they had that third quarter to be able to do over, then I think you're probably looking at a win as opposed to the actual outcome. But Murray's got to be better in that situation. And I, I don't think he played very well at that at that point. And Jokic has to be better in that situation. Like it this shouldn't be that hard. It and it was. It was. It was a it was a really good game. I did not think it looked hard on the Nuggets at all in the first half. I thought the Nuggets looked like they were firing on all cylinders. Throughout the whole game, I felt like they played really good defense. There were a lot of defensive sets. I mean, obviously, you're not going to play perfect defense because that's hard. But um, there were a lot of sets where, like, this team really got good stops. I I felt like played decent defense. There were a lot of highlighting of, at least on the ESPN broadcast, highlights of Embiid blowing past Jokic where or or Embiid getting the dunk off of a you know a dish from Harden in the paint but really the issue is MPJ is chasing his defender because he's not in front of his defender so Jokic has to approach the guy with the ball in his hand because that's obviously more important gets a hand in his face but in that moment that he just like the Nuggets do right as soon as you go to double team there's a guy open as soon as Jokic sees the double team pull over that's when he gets the dish same thing Harden did the same thing to Jokic and Jokic got bore the weight of the criticism of like man Embiid's such a better player Jokic can't defend him when really I felt like it was a a fault of maybe poor guard defense that ended up 
causing Jokic to have to, uh, you know, play help defense a lot. What did you think about that? There are definitely some moments. I think you can break it down into a couple of categories, right? You have the opportunity where Jokic is defending Joel Embiid in a face-up kind of isolation situation where it's just him on an island. And I thought that Joel Embiid cooked him in a lot of those moments. I, I, I wouldn't want to sugarcoat it in this situation. I think that Embiid got to his spots. There were a couple of, like, especially in the first half, I thought that Jokic actually did a reasonable job. There was nothing crazy about it he he got a couple blocks off of the swipes when he's trying to when he's trying to rise up and, and Jokic just uh, deflected the ball right out of his hands uh he slid his feet when Embiid was trying to drive into him and I thought did a reasonable job of protecting the rim in those situations but Embiid just settled for the jumper and and when he is hitting the jumper the way that he is Jokic has to be able to contest it better than he did I thought that he sagged off of him a lot I thought that he dared him to settle for the jumper consistently and was just kind of hoping that that jumper didn't go down and in the second half it went down pretty much every time and that's tough but what you're talking about and I think what a lot of folks are attributing more to Jokic than they are to MPJ or to others which is probably not correct um, is where James Harden was seeking out Michael Porter on a lot of those switches and then running pick and roll, trying to put Porter and Jokic in that action. And Jokic, I think, did a pretty good job of deflecting that pass with a kicked ball a lot of the time. But I think you're right that when Porter isn't closing down that gap enough, then there is a, a pocket pass window the size of like, like the entire width of the paint. And that's a problem, of, of course. Like, it's just going to make it super easy for Harden, who had 13 assists and zero turnovers in that game, and for Embiid, who in those situations, when you're going down Main Street, you're going to dunk or you're going to finish a layup and you're going to draw a foul and things like that. Like, it's just really easy in those situations. So I think that you're right. I think that the critics of Jokic are also right. I think everybody's right, if we're being honest. It's tough. Denver got flambéed in a lot of those situations in the second half, but the first half was better to your point. Nice. Yeah, I agree. There was, there's a lot to criticize from this game. I think there's a lot to learn for the nuggets. I think this is going to be one of those L's you take and you learn from it um, moving into the playoffs specifically. You know, this is something that you can walk away and say like, we actually know how that we messed up, but failure actually should turn into success if you're using your failure correctly. And I think that most of the Nuggets really have a good mindset when it comes to failure in general. Are you saying we're going to play a little game to end our five minutes together, but last five minutes together, over, under reaction? Or is it over the top reaction to say the Nuggets are definitely like not winning a championship this year? Overreaction? Oh, that's an overreaction. I think that Denver can win a title. I think that they probably still will win a title. I think that when you get into a playoff series against Jokic, there are certain things that he's going to be able to, that he's going to be able to do and that other teams are going to be able to do to him. But Jokic is going to be able to shore up a lot of those things. And as are the Nuggets, they just have better personnel and better defenders and athleticism and versatility to be able to cover up for that. I think this year and, I don't think that's changing. I think Jokic is going to play 38 to 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. He's going to be way better scoring the basketball than he was his last game. And he'll probably average like 
30, 12, and 12 or something insane. And we're going to look back on this particular game and be like, man, that was a low point. And then he was fantastic the rest of the time. That's my, that's my prediction on this. I I think that they can still win a title. Definitely an overreaction to say that they cannot win a title. Yeah. Jokic is averaging 30, 12 and 12 in the month of January. So uh, I wouldn't (laughs) put it past him to do it in the playoffs, but over or underreaction to the people who say it's time to trade Bones Highland. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I, man, I, I wish I could hedge and say it's both, but like, I will say, I will say it's overreacting and that there are still some things that Bones, like, I actually like the way that he played on Saturday. I thought that there were some good things that he did and some things that he can take forward with him that should be pretty helpful uh, for what he's trying to do going forward. In my mind, I think that Bones is just, he's just one of those guys that puts a lot of pressure on himself to be great, but the Nuggets just need him to be good. They need him to be consistent. They need him to be defensive-minded. That's not really who he is, but for this team, for this season, for the next three to four months or so, I think that he can do that. And Denver will get through the playoffs with that. Uh, if they do end up trading him, it wouldn't surprise me. No, I mean, of course it wouldn't surprise me, but it's not necessary for them to trade him in order to win. They can win despite maybe some weaker minutes with the bench. But if he gets hot in a series, if he cooks in a series and finds some comfort in being able to get to his spots, get his shots up and hit three threes in a row, that could win Denver a series legitimately. Yeah. And it's going to bring a ton of just experience to Bones. Like moving forward, he's going to be a more valuable player because of the playoff experience he's going to get here in Denver. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope that they don't trade him, but there are a few trade rumors out there. So I had to ask. Um, yeah. Last one over under reaction, it's time to bench Jeff, Uncle Jeff Green. That is, yeah, that's an underreaction. I think that it might be time to trade Jeff Green. And that's, it's too bad because what Jeff has done, what he did last season, replacing Michael Porter in the starting lineup, really underrated. It was really, really hard to do that. And he played, he averaged like 26 minutes a night at his age, being able to take on some tough assignments. He was really, really good for what the Nuggets needed. This year, his athleticism, he's still dunking on people, but it's the movements and the defense and being able to slide his feet, not necessarily pick up fouls. Like he is struggling on that end of the floor right now. And Denver needs something more consistent off their bench, whether it's Zeke Naji, whether it's Vlaco, whether it's Jeff, DeAndre. I don't really know. I just think that Denver needs more from that spot and if that's like that would be somewhere where i would be like okay they can really upgrade here because there are players that are better that are more consistent that if you play that guy 20 minutes in a playoffs you'll feel good about it as opposed to with jeff if you have to play jeff 20 minutes in a playoffs i think you're you're a little bit concerned so that would be i'd be concerned on that front yeah unfortunate hand injury for jeff green earlier in this season also kind of probably damaging his his, um, 
cardio, you know, his ability to keep up on the floor. So we're seeing a little bit of that because it's recent and he just got back. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the Chicken Nuggets podcast. We appreciate your uh, expertise in this area. And, you know, hopefully we'll have you on soon again. Thanks, Jenna. Good to talk to you. I'll have you on Pickaxe and Roll soon. Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.